0: Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, here's the thing. i got to move with a little bit of a record speed because in the uh, kids' ministry, Center Point, uh, my kids have been strategizing all week, but this week uh, they're on David and Goliath. Um, every week this summer they've been, there's been a new journey. It's been sort of like uh, Amazing Race meets Raiders of the Lost Ark. we got the Hall of Antiquities out there. Well, this week they're on David and Goliath, and, and, and I, there's some... Puzzle that they're putting together with the memory verse, and as they get those verses in the right order in the blocks, they get to uh, pick up a wet sponge and take a shot at Mr. Jim, who's going to be in a Goliath statue out front, uh, and and hit him with the wet sponge. My kids have been strategizing since Sunday, figuring out how they're going to get this done. So uh, I want to make sure that we're out in time to see that. So, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. I was a waiter for like seven years, and I used to claim that scripture. It's not right for me to wait on tables. Of course, that was a complete misrepresentation of it, but be that as it may. So brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom in Matthew 13, and he said something that was puzzling, a little bit perplexing, when he talked about that the kingdom of God would be like a mustard seed that you would put into the ground. You might remember this, Hebrew or Matthew 13. So it's like a mustard seed that when it grows up, I'll read it if you want to go there, but I'll read it for you. It says, he told them another parable, verse 31 of chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in its field. And though it's the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants and it becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Now, this is perplexing to me because I don't know if you know where mustard comes from. By the way, not the the condiment aisle. There's actually something that happens before it gets there. Mustard doesn't come, it, it does. Never in history has a mustard seed, naturally that I can know of, grown into a tree, it grows into a plant a bush, certainly nothing that could host a bird, right? So the question would, of course, be, was Jesus confused on his botany? Had he not been around the orchard and the the trees and realized that, and and we know that's not true, right? He's God, so he knows. And so it goes from being perplexing and puzzling to, I think, prophetic. Because Jesus Talking about a little mustard seed that would grow into a tree, knowing that normally, unless something freakish or abnormal happens, is not going to grow, it wasn't meant to be a tree. And when you look at it and you realize that the birds are going to come and nest, and the best way for Scripture to be interpreted is for Scripture to interpret Scripture Earlier in that same chapter in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. This is all part of the same sermon, if you will, that Jesus is preaching. And he talked about the sower sows the word and that some of those uh, seeds would go on rocky ground. And, but it says that some of that would be picked up by birds. Throughout scripture, when the word bird is used in metaphor, it always represents something evil. Whether it was Abraham in Genesis when the covenant was made and the birds came in and were trying to, you had to chase them away, or whether it's in the end in Revelation 18 where it talks about that there they will be locked up in a, in a jail forever, and it talks about these things, and one of them it, rep- it says in metaphor is birds, the evil birds, Revelation 18:2. Birds now, and if you've ever had one make a nest like in you know a place where you don't want it to be. You know, I remember Mo launched a, a, an attack on a bird this summer that was making a nest in his dryer vent. But the little things can be cute, but the, you know, you get what he's saying sometimes. And if you're a bird watcher, man, I'm sorry, but it's Jesus, so you can take it up with him. But he talks about it being evil. Now follow me, see if you can smell what Jesus is stepping in. Because then he goes on to say, in verse 19 of chapter 13, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That's Jesus interpreting, saying that the word, when it was sown into their hearts, would be snatched away by birds, the birds. And we don't have time to go there today, but in Luke, I, would, I could show you in the other parable that he actually talks about that he, the, the bird, the evil one, Satan, would come and steal the word that was sown in your heart. Now, when you think about what we talked about last week, was that what is the first thing that that Satan said to Eve, which was, did God really say? He was taking away the word, picking at it, pecking at the word in her heart, stealing it from her. And it begins to make all kinds of sense, and we talked about that, that from that, when you start to add to the word, peck away at the word, and add your own stuff to it, legalism and religion can form. Now go with me back to Matthew 13 if you haven't left for there. And see, he's talking about a tree that would grow from a mustard seed. Jesus is suggesting, I believe, mustard seed was never meant to grow into a big, burdensome and cumbersome tree. The kingdom of God growing into this burdensome tree that is bureaucratic, that is bogged down like some gigantic government institution was never meant to be that way. And the bigger and more bogged down we can get in programs and religion and legalism, that's just one more branch for a bird to come and nest and peck away at the word that God has put in your heart. In Acts, it makes a case for simplicity, simple. The church was they says they devoted themselves to four things, to sandwiches and such. Two, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Um, we were joking last week that we wanted to make those the four imperatives so we wouldn't have to actually make, make new signs, but they're just not biblical. <laughs> they devoted themselves to prayer. This is Acts 2.42, to fellowship. In, in fellowship, we talked about it. It isn't just hanging out with your bros. It is that. There's a layer of that. It's deep and it's meaningful, but it's way more profound. It's more family than that. Their fellowship, the word in the Greek in Acts 2.42, is the word called koinonia. And if you grew up in the 70s and remember Jesus' movement, there was all, that, that word was everywhere, koinonia, especially on the West Coast. It meant fellowship, but understand this. In Romans 15, when Paul says that I'm going to send this contribution to the poor, to those that were in need in Jerusalem, and again, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and Paul uses the word contribution again, talking about this gift that was being sent for the poor. He uses the word not gift, but koinonia. I'm sending you th- our fellowship. And so it is that we this week at Conduit Church sent our fellowship to our brothers and sisters in Jacmel, Haiti. They devoted themselves to that. It was so simple to prayer, to fellowship to teaching we're very committed to teaching the bible chapter by chapter verse by verse they devoted themselves to teaching and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread which is a jewish euphemism for communion and you'll, if you're around here you'll know that we have communion available every week we can always bring it back to the cross and remind of what christ did it was those four things that they devoted themselves it was simple it was relaxed it wasn't burdensome. And the thing is, is as an organization, if, if the tendency is to bog it down with all kinds of programs, that we're cracking the whip, getting everybody involved, it becomes so burdensome. And you know how it is. A lot of strange birds start hanging out. And if you've been around any sort of a church where this has taken on a life of its own, lots of strange birds come around. Lots of religion comes in and starts to steal the word, the simplicity that God had put in your heart. And I believe that when you are looking to decide what is the church going to be, because we had a chance to define something here. I've been talking with Mike Pappas for months, more than months, about what what might this look like. Shannon and I have talked, and Jeremy, we've we've all, you know, we've had conversations of what could we look like, and and the tendency would be to go to, you know, get the ministry magazine, to get the latest advice, to go to the conferences, the seminars, and figure out what model God wants us to do in this area, and I got to tell you, I think that that is, at best, a collective waste of time, because what we could do instead was look to the Bible, look to, and and see, see, look to if, if we're the body of Christ, you and I, which is what Paul tells us, Jesus is the head, we're the body. What if we just looked to Jesus' body itself and figured out what our body collectively could and should look like? And if you're a note taker, and by the way, if you, don't, if you bring a pen and paper, it's not because I'm that smart, but it's because God is. And God might interrupt you in the middle of what we're talking about and have something to say to you. It's always good to have a pen and paper ready so you can just write a note so you don't forget it. And it's not bad to write down some things if God is speaking to you while I'm speaking that it is. But today I would love for you to write these things down because what I'd love is for you to take them home, percolate on them, put them on slow roast in your spirit and see if God, if this resonates with you. But when you look to the body of Christ, when you look to Jesus himself, I think you don't have to go look at the, the latest ministry magazine, the, the demographic studies. Jesus, his body was born, number one, of a miracle, of a miraculous conception. There wasn't any plan, any strategy. Any, it was no consultants had come in. This was just nothing but a miracle that happened. God had taken something that nobody could possibly debate and say, this is not a miracle and created the body of Christ. And so too, I think, with the church on earth. That while I appreciate demographic studies, I believe that you should be able to be in a situation where nobody, the church is just born naturally. And nobody could argue or debate it. And if you were, have been around this operation for any length of time, you would say, man, this is nothing short of a miracle that this is happening. God just basically took this new thing, this divergent territory, if you will, and created something new. None of us were looking for it. None of us were aspiring for it. God just supernaturally made it happen. It was born so naturally. It wasn't forced. It wasn't contrived. And by the grace of God, we will always remain in that state. Number one, it's born miraculously. Number two, All the members functioned. When Jesus, if you've had babies, uh, the earnest are about to experience this, you're going to do something that just by sub—no, Daddy, you'll do this subconsciously. You'll start counting toes and fingers just to make sure they're all there. And and, in Jesus' body, everything was there, and it all functioned properly. The body is to be miraculously conceived, and the body is then to just function in order with each other. We're going to be talking about that in the the weeks to to come, by the way, as to what that looks like when you're operating in a body, a local body of believers. The third thing was that it was coordinated physically. So it was born miraculously. All the members were functioning. And thirdly, they were coordinated by a central nervous system. If Jesus is the head, okay, follow me, and we're the body, the Holy Spirit, that's the nervous system. Because the way that my head sends a message to my body that it needs to go get a donut is it sends messages through my nervous system. And that nervous system in our world, that's the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus has an idea, and he says, hey, we, get, we really need to buy and build some houses for these wonderful families this week, he moves through the Holy Spirit, and then the body will then go and carry out his wishes. The job of the body is to carry out the ideas of the head. And we need to be in touch with the head through the nervous system, through the Holy Spirit, so that we can know what the head is looking for us to do. The fourth thing that you see in the body of Christ and the literal body of Jesus that I believe we'll see here is that from the moment it started, it was under attack. Jesus was under attack from the moment he was born. Herod, you might remember, sent uh, soldiers to kill the babies to try to kill the body. And I want you to, I say that to say that if we are, shooting our weapons in the right direction, if you will, to go with this metaphor, we're going to get shot at. I saw an interview with a general on CNN about a year ago, and he made this profound statement when he said that when he was flying planes in World War II, that they didn't have all the fancy gear that we had. And so he said that when we were dropping our bombs and they weren't shooting at us, it scared us because we weren't over the right target. He said, We would know if we're flying over the right target because we were getting shot at. And I say to you and to everyone here and to me included that be not surprised when the attacks come. Mostly don't be surprised that it'll come from religious people. Jesus was always taking shots and it was always from religious people taking shots because he was decentralizing their power. Under attack, Financially, we've been under attack. We've had all kinds of obstacles and things we've had to overcome. Under attack, if we're over the right target, we're going to get shot at. Five, he grew. It's actually natural for growth to happen. And it says that Jesus in Luke 5, I think it's Luke 5, Luke 2, no, it's Luke 2, that he grew in stature and in favor with man. It's natural that if we're doing this, that we're going to grow. We don't want to grow abnormally fast or abnormally whatever, but it's going to happen. We want to grow naturally. We're not going to be taking spiritual roids to be, you know, become freakishly large. You know. We're just going to grow as the Lord is moving in us and know that even as we speak here, that we're growing in favor with man as well. We got another uh, card this week from a family just thanking us for the work that we had done on their behalf. You know, the, the work that's being done when we did our flood relief work, the, 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 the thanks, the, the favor that's happening in our community because of the work that we're doing. We're growing not only naturally, but we're growing in favor as well. Number six, the attacks continue. As your organization grows, Jesus, as he grew, you might remember it, when he, they took him to the edge of a cliff when he was in Nazareth, do you remember this? And they took him to the edge of a cliff They wanted to push him off. They wanted to crush him. They wanted to stone him. And Jesus, it says, looked at them, probably in that way that only Jesus could, and walked right through the midst of them into safety. And I say that because the gates of hell, he says, will not prevail against my church. And so whatever he's throwing against us, the enemy, because again, I believe we're, flowing, we're flying over the right target. There are going to be attacks coming, a reminder the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us, not with Jesus inside of us. He was baptized in water. I don't even know what number one here, It doesn't matter. He's baptized in water, and we're going to be doing that soon here. I've um, had a call from a father this week. My kids have been asking about, you know, it's, when can I be baptized? Now, I don't know what we're going to do, um, maybe we'll go to a lake or pool. I submit that to you guys, how we want to do that. But baptized in water, it is not what provides us with salvation. But let me tell you, I, like, wearing this wedding ring does not make me married to my wife, but it tells everybody else that I am. And that's what baptism is. It's an outward sign. It's a thing that I would wear on the outside to tell to the world that I am a follower of Christ, that I have died and I've been resurrected in him. And not only that, but he was baptized not only in water, but he's baptized in the Spirit in a subsequent experience to Jesus, because when the Holy Spirit descended on him right before his work of public ministry, it says that a dove appeared over him and the Spirit came upon him. And many of you might think, yeah, but I don't know that I really necessarily have buy-in with that. I feel like that at the moment of salvation that I have all the Holy Spirit that I'll ever need. And I would submit to you, does that mean that Jesus, before this moment happened, did he not have all the Holy Spirit that he needed? He was saved. in that, You know what I'm saying? He was God, but he was man. He was saved. And the Spirit came on him in the same way that the Spirit can come on you and I to empower us for ministry. And that is exactly what happened. The Spirit came on Jesus, and he was empowered for ministry. And it was after that point, whatever number we're on, that Jesus, full of the Spirit, covered with the Spirit, all five of the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry, operated in him on the earth. It's the only time it's happened before, since, or, or in the future, because Jesus was perfect. All five of the ministry gifts. And if you've got, if you've got a pen, well, you don't even have to write this down. Go get, the, you get the tape. Send your love gift to our ministry, and you can. I was kidding. Um, if my dreams of becoming a televangelist ever to be fulfilled, I have to get better at that, don't I? Um, The fivefold ministry, apostle, Jesus was sent governing. Sent one. That's all the word apostle means, by the way, is to be sent by the Spirit. The apostle ministry, Jesus was sent. He was a prophet. He foretold the future. He was able to divide truth. The prophet ministry inside of Jesus, the evangelist ministry in Jesus. Of course, he's out there preaching to everybody. The pastor ministry that was in Jesus. Guarding against the wolves, the, the, the false teachings that were going on. And the teacher in him, it says it's, that he, even the simple people were blown, blown away by what he had to say. The fivefold ministry in Jesus. And if you think like I do, this might help you to remember the fivefold ministry. Apostle, that's a governing ministry, it's sort of an overseer, a governing thing. Prophet, it's not governing, but it's a guiding ministry. Evangelist, that's a gathering ministry. Pastor, a guarding ministry. Teaching, grounding ministry. So it's governing, guiding, gathering, guarding, grounding, all of them operating in Jesus after the Holy Spirit came on him. And we could go on and on. He fed hungry people. He healed people his body doing those things on the earth but the thing that I want to not skip over or just glance at is that not only did he do those things but his body finally was broken there was a brokenness that happened in Jesus and I believe that it's in that brokenness that Jesus himself can be revealed in us On the road to Emmaus, you might remember the disciples that he encountered. And those disciples came to him, and they didn't recognize him until he broke the bread. And it says their eyes were opened. In the breaking of us, Jesus is revealed. Not necessarily in our prosperity or how nice we can roll, but in those moments of brokenness when Christ shines through. And so too with us. We're going to have moments, some of you have it right now, moments of brokenness individually. We might experience it corporately. But the body of Christ, I believe, and you could take this, and please do, go home, pray about it. Look at the life of Christ and see how it mirrors how our body is functioning, how it will function, how it could function. And you're thinking, maybe, that's great, but what does all this mean for me, personally? Like, if I'm a part of this body, I guess, we don't have members, so it's really hard to know if I'm a part of the body or not, but if I'm a part of this body, and look, I'd say, if you're here, and you're part of what we're doing, and God is hooking up in your spirit what we need to do, congratulations, you're, you're already a member of the body of Christ, we don't need extra paperwork to sign off on it, like nobody's going to be checking your, your ID card, do you know what I mean, for members. But if you're a part of that, what does that mean for you, for me? In Acts chapter 6, going back to where we started, we see a need forming and we see a program happening, which tells me the programs aren't necessarily bad, it's how they're implemented that we have to watch out for. And this is where you and I come in together, not as I'm the leader, or all of us as the body together, this is how it unfolds. Because what's happening is there was this widow feeding program that was going on in the body already. We don't see any record of the apostles dictating this thing from the front office to make this happen. It was just naturally happening in the body already. And when they grew and they needed some help, they came to the apostles and they, they provided support. They probably provided financial support. They provided support with, here's how we can do it. They helped with implementing some leadership things. And it was just a natural thing that was born, simply recognizing what they were already doing and then coming alongside and partnering with it from inside the body It already happened. What was the Holy Spirit already doing? And let us how can we come alongside and help you? And so too with Conduit. We're already seeing this happen. You don't know David Whetstone, some of you, because he's been in Africa since almost the church started. And he was in Haiti before that. But here's a guy that has moved to, I say moved to, he lives everywhere, but he's made his central location, Nashville, to be a part of what we're doing, a part of Conduit Church. And we saw that the Holy Spirit was moving in him and that things were happening and that he needed some support, he needed some help, he needed some input. And he allowed us the privilege as a church to come alongside and to prop up what he's doing and to serve with him. There wasn't a front office meeting where we had a strategy with the committees and focusing on what nations we needed to conquer for Jesus. It was just naturally happening in our body and we supported it. And I want you to know that this distinction is huge because there is a tendency to initiate uh, initiatives initiate initiatives from the, from the front of it. And, and we crack the whip and we get everybody involved and everybody gets exhausted and tired because we've got to feed the beast. We've got to keep this program going. And maybe it's something nobody asked for to begin with. Instead of the other way around of what's already going on in our body And how can we support it? How can we prop it up? And bingo, we got a program. One that is there for us to serve God, not for us to serve a program. When I look back on what I've done for the last 15 years working with artists, and it took me a while to figure this out, I see that it perfectly fit with what God was wanting to do here. Because what we would do is he would take a young band, a young artist, help them to unpack the dream in their life that God had called them to, help them to execute it. At the end of the day, though, it was their initiative. It was their work. It was their calling. It was their deal. But my job was to come in and support and to help. to, uh, you know, And there was a lot of work involved in it. But what I realized was that that's kind of what the pastor thing is. When I look to Ephesians 4, when we talk about that five-fold ministry gift. It says that the work of the pastor, prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, doubled up, is to not gather people around me so that I can do the work of the ministry. Uh Uh-uh. It's the other way around. It says that my job is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry, to support you in the work of the ministry. And so that's what we've seen. The work that we've even got in Haiti right now. It's funny. We talk about we started Conduit on Easter Sunday, which is true. We started Conduit Church on Easter Sunday. God started Conduit Church September of 2007. We just weren't smart enough to figure it out for three years. But as that was unfolding, in our midst was a young man named Philip Peters, who's 30 years old now, and he had this passion and this heart for what was going on in Haiti. And if it weren't for Philip, none of us would even know what was going on in Haiti, a guy that you've never even met, most of you. But we were able to say, okay, this is what God is doing in us. How can we support Philip? How can we support Pastor Lafleur that we met through Philip? How can we as a church, Bible study, we weren't letting ourselves think of it as a church, support that? And this natural ministry was born. Teresa Swain, who some of you know, her mommy and daddy and sister are here today, became a part of this, and what ended up happening, we didn't necessarily plant a church out of us, we planted a mission organization out of us, we gave birth to restore Haiti, so that when they were able to stand on their own, they're able to file their own 501c3, become their own organization, and we still continue to support them, to stand beside them, to take trips with them, because it was just what God was already doing, it wasn't hard, it wasn't burdensome, it wasn't a bummer, man, it was just beautiful is the way the body can operate. Our children's program, if you will. Jim Henderson, a passion for kids. If you've been around Jim, you know this guy is crazy when it comes to kids' ministry. He had this heart to do something, and we're able to come along with Jim and say, yeah, we, you fit in what we're doing, and he's like really passionate about it. How can we support Jim? How can we let him go be what God has called him to be, not micromanage it and beat him down, and, but let him go be who he is and us support it and I could go on and on. I mean, Charlie's going down often to the homeless shelters on Sundays. Uh, ben, who was in Haiti. We, the, the list goes on and on of what God is already doing in our body, that how can we support it? How can we? And I would say to you, if you're waiting for the, the instructions, you're like, Darren, this is great. We, we're just kind of like, what committee are we going to report to? Well, we don't have one. Like, okay, we're, we're waiting for instructions from the pulpit. Well, I don't have any we would say, what is God already doing? I don't even have to ask for it to be blessed at that point. Because if God's already doing it, it's by its very virtue, blessed. We're just going to plug in with you. And I would say to you today, what is it that God, don't wait for us, don't wait for some front office orders from headquarters. What's God doing in you? And if, and if God is in it, and if the Lord is moving through it, and sometimes it takes time to figure that out. It takes time to figure, is God really in it? And if he is, man, we'd love to have the privilege of supporting you. We'd love to have the privilege of working beside you. And you might say, but Darren, what if it's not God? What if I totally hose it and mess it up? So what? What's the worst that could happen? You're stronger, you're wiser, and you're better for the next time around. You learn some stuff. I got to tell you, everything that I learned wasn't in Bible college. It's from screwing stuff up. It's from doing stuff wrong and God showing it in me. And you know what? God is still God. He didn't fall off the throne. He makes you bigger and wiser and stronger for it. And so what? I think that it, it reminds me of David. It reminds me of him looking at the city of Jerusalem and saying that is the city that God has called us to be our capital. And he said, the, the one man that, or anybody that can get in there and get those gates open so we can conquer this city I'll make him my my right-hand man, my general. And this guy named Joab, you might remember the story, not particularly spiritual, kind of a checkered past, climbs up in a sewer, basically, a 70-foot-tall sewer that still exists to this day, through the walls of the city, opened the doors, conquered the city. And I think that our king of kings, the son of David, if you will, is saying to you and saying to me, I got a city, this thing that needs to get done. Who will stand up and do it? And if you mess it up, like I remember, it reminded me again this week because my wife has been doing some spring cleaning in July. And it's, it's fine. It's just hot in the summer when you do the spring cleaning. And, and, and maybe it's because we just had so much we had to, you know, took all the summer. It's because we have a lot of kids. Let me tell you what, when you get a lot of kids, they just do a lot of stuff comes with them. So she's been doing the spring cleaning, and, and she found the, um, an album that I had recorded a long time ago. And if you have one, I'm willing to pay large sums of money to get it back. And you don't know this piece of my history because it wasn't particularly successful. It wasn't even particularly very good. But I just, I did it. And I remember this. I remember the, the the peak of my ministry was driving through St. Louis with a guy named Willie Ames. And you might not remember Willie, but Willie in the 80s was on a little TV show called Eight is Enough, and then Charles in Charge, and... And if you're a little younger, you might remember Miss Bible Man. Or if you've been watching the news lately, you might remember from a particular meltdown he had on Celebrity Fit Club. But be that as it may, in 1992, I'm in, a, I'm in St. Louis with Willie. we got a straight truck, and we're following the van of the ministry. He's speaking. I'm doing the music. And I see this. I'm a, if you've been around me, you know that I love the shortcuts. And I see a shortcut that will get us to Alton, Illinois from downtown St. Louis. Okay. The problem with on the map was they don't show gangs on the map. And so we, like, I'm just saying now maybe Google might want to put that little note, this, you know, don't do that. So a couple of dudes from the Midwest trucking through the middle of the the absolute worst parts of inner city St. Louis, where we have no business being. And now I'm going to add a layer to that. I am sick as a dog. Okay. We had some pizza the night before that apparently we had not prayed over because it was looking for any open orifice on my body at this point. And I, at this point, I finally, I'm just like, I got to stop. And so we pulled into this gas station. We're surrounded by people who, you know, didn't like us. And we uh, go into this, and it looked like a bathroom that someone had literally just given up on. Like, you know what? We tried, (laughs) but they stopped six years ago. They had stopped even caring about this bathroom. And by that point, I didn't even care. I'm like, and, uh, yeah, so basically that was not good. And, and we made it, by the way. I made it that night and, you know, we did the thing. And I laid backstage, like, like, came up, did the music, and laid backstage some more. But I guess the point being is that maybe you might feel like, what if I get lost? What if I take a wrong turn and I'm going the wrong direction? God will get you back on. What, what, I'm, maybe I'm going to make a huge mess. Someone will clean it up. The risk is worth it. I, I, it's, it's This, what we're doing right here, is a monumental risk. I, Jeremy has quit his job. I, I signed over a company that was started nine years ago because it's the risk that God is asking us to take. I maybe we fail, and it'd be okay because God is still God. He's not off the throne. And I say to you, on whatever level you are, I'm not suggesting you've got to go quit your job, or, but I am suggesting whatever God is nudging at your heart, nudging in your spirit, Stop making excuses. There's always going to be excuses. There's always going to be reasons why not to do it. But why not throw all those out and start somewhere, the first step? And if it's God and if the Spirit is moving in it and if it is uh, something that you would like us to support and help with, I'd love the privilege of doing it. And from that, what I believe are how programs can be born in a church in a gathering with what you're already doing. Don't wait for the orders from headquarters. And we'll have opportunities. We were doing flood work and we're going to Haiti. There's opportunities to serve beside us, but don't, if God is tapping on your shoulder, don't don't hold out anymore. That's all I'm saying. And as we worship just a little bit longer, I know that it's time to go hang out with our kids. My prayer for you this morning is to know that as a church, No matter how many people gather around, that we always maintain that same simplicity. What is God already doing? How can we get involved with it? I'm not looking for ownership, for control, for whatever, but how can we come alongside and serve what you're already doing? Now, Father, we ask for your wisdom. You said if we ask for wisdom, that you would give it to us, and we ask for wisdom. I know that this morning, maybe you're tapping some people on the shoulder already, and Just ask that you'd give them wisdom in the decisions that they would make. And I would ask for wisdom for our church as well. How can we serve what you're already doing in our body? How can we come alongside it, God? Make it clear to us. Know that you're in the middle of it. You can lead us through it. And Lord, we um, lift up our brothers and sisters whether they're in Haiti or Africa or in Columbia, Tennessee, all around us that we've had the opportunity to serve, that you would be with them as well. Thank you so much for the privilege, for the opportunity of what we've already been able to do, we've already been able to serve. We give this day to you in Jesus' name, amen.